And good morning. It is a Minnesota morning. It's 9.36, and we have our regular segment. What's it called? It's called... It's Barb Lamson. Hey, Barb, how are you? Hey, good morning, Karen, and what a beautiful morning it is, too. The sun is out, the squirrels are running around, the birds are in the feeder. I mean, the snow is melting. It's just so perfect this morning. And spring is what? Fewer than, it's about just a little over 20 days away. And that Uh, makes, I know there's so many people online uh, on the Facebook uh, site that that was some of the gardening ones that I go to that are planting seeds or wanting to plant seeds or they're all, you know, I got to do it. I'm going to be late. And, you know, it's still calm down is what I got to tell you. Calm down. It's okay. Unless you have some flowers that take a long time before they'll bloom, um, really, the thing maybe you should start now is probably like your onion seeds and things like that that take longer to mature. Sure, sure. <clears throat> Karen, can we start, can we talk about the good news? Sure. Because uh, uh, February has been just a very educational month for me, learning new things. And part of the reason for that is we have been celebrating Black History Matters. Black people matter. Black lives matter. And for me, the history programs that I've been able to watch and view on television, as well as the reading I've done, just have been made me aware of, you know, my own racist attitudes and how little I knew about the history of of black people. And the Free Press this week had a story in there about uh, Robert S. Duncanson, an artist that um, a slave and uh, was born in 1821. Um, He started out as a carpenter and then a house painter and then started doing landscape painting. And the reason that uh, this probably the story was in the free press was because he painted a picture of Minneopa Falls and and it's just uh, it's just a gorgeous painting it happens to reside now in the uh, Cincinnati Art Museum but uh, that's our claim to to uh, this artist and then uh, Robert Duncanson also painted uh, landscapes with rainbow and that was donated to um, the First Lady and the President to use on loan uh, in the White House while they're there. And uh, just a remarkable painting. Both of them are just a remarkable person who uh, went to Europe and was the first recognized uh, international uh, painter. And Alfred Lord Tennyson said that he painted, his painted reminded him of his poem, Land of the Lotus Eaters. So just a, a great Good person. information, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're so lucky to be finding out about someone who is part of our history here and our love of Minneopa Falls. You know, that's some place we took our children to from the time that we could push them around in a stroller and then they started walking and one of them we had to keep hold of all the time because he was so active and wanted to go up and down the steps and get to the bottom and and all these things but then the other person 
reminded me how little we know about some of these big moments in our history was the slave, his name is York, and he accompanied Lewis and Clark as they crossed the continent looking for the source of um, how to get to the Pacific, I should say. And um, after two years of being with them, um, Lewis did not free him from slavery. And uh, the reason this got to the papers was because some people who wanted his history to know um, did a bust of him, a carved bust, and it was uh, erected in a, in a state park. And this was in uh, Oregon, Portland, Oregon. So here again, when we have something like black history, black history, black lives matter, it begins to educate some of us who came up through the time in schools where we had no black history. Right. And I am so thankful for for the history that we're getting now for the uh, peek into the lives of people who have made such valuable contributions to our lives. So that's something that we can really celebrate. And, and just as we are ending Black History Month, Women's History Month starts uh, next week. So, yeah. Yes, and that is something to educate yourself about, too, all right. these great women. As a matter of fact, my sister and I were talking about our grandmother. You know, what a remarkable person. The oldest of 15 children that came to this country got married when she was 18 and had nine children of her own and lived to be well into her 90s. Just a remarkable person. And she's the person that was the gardener in my life. So she has a special place in in, in my heart, too. I think a lot of us got our gardening from grandmas or, or moms and that sort of thing. And I remember my grandma taking me out to the garden, too. And, and so, yeah, fond memories of that. Yes, it certainly is. Well, you know, there are things we can do now. We You opened up the program talking about, you know, don't rush getting things planted and that. There are, uh, if you have some bulbs that you've brought in, uh, like the caladiums, you could start those now in a pot, in a pot. Mm-hmm. Okay. with the idea that once it warms up, they're going to go outside. That would give them, they, when you start, um, when you pot them up, it takes them a while just to do anything. Yeah, so don't rush them. They're dormant, but, and it takes a while to, to, do, to break dormancy. So I know I've talked to you about this before, and I haven't done it. I think I'll do this now that you mentioned that, because I've got some caladiums, I've got some canna lily and i've got some elephant ears that i saved and i did look at them uh let's see last week and they they all seem so dried up so i don't know they might have gotten too dry i'm not sure and then of course they will be worthless but i i'll i'll bring them out and i'll try and you don't want to put a lot of water with them you just want to put them in maybe just damp slightly damp soil so they get the warmth and that kind of wakes them up but if you put the water with them they're not ready to to wake up yet they'll they'll rot so you got to be careful about that that's right and and here's what i found when I'm doing this, rather than uh, putting them in an out-of-the-way place where they might be not seen <laughs> right. when we come into the kitchen, I have to put these things on my kitchen cupboard because I uh. like to watch them every single day and see what they're, what they're doing. The other thing that I did this week was um, I 
uh, had bought some oyster shells. I think we talked about that before on this right. program. They're great for, um, they aerate the soil, they lighten it up so that the plant, so, well, the soil drains better, but also um, uh, it, it's just you get more oxygen to the root. So <clears throat> I brought some in, and I mixed it with some uh, potting soil. And, you know, I keep my potting soil and those kinds of things in my greenhouse. And if you bring something in from the outside like that, don't incorporate it into your plants because it's still so cold. Yeah, you've got to let it warm up. I, I found that, too. Sometimes it'll freeze rock hard if it had any moisture in it. So, yeah, you need to just kind of just let it set for a while. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, a lot of times we're in the mood to do something or we have time to do something and and we rush too fast. But, but that really is a mistake. So, so don't do that. But um, it, it's surprising how the soil... Um, kind of settles in a in a container, yes. especially if it's a bigger plant. And so, incorporating something that's looser, and um, and then I like to use like um, just a wooden fine uh, stick, like uh, bigger than not a popsicle stick, but something more like a shish kebab skewer would be. Okay, and then you you go through because you don't want to. When you're trying to loosen up the soil, you can't see what you're doing, and you don't want to destroy any of the roots. But do that, and then add your soil. But you're only, you don't want to go higher than the level of where the soil was originally. It's just like... Where it's, just where it's settled, right. Yeah. Yeah, where it's settled in, and a lot of times that's along the edges. And you can certainly do that. And then right now, you know, continue to... Um, if you can draw your water and then let it sit on your counter or sit someplace and just warm up, and um, the advantage of that is evaporating out, I think it's uh, chlorine, chlorine and all the... You know, the other thing they say is you can collect a bunch of snow, and that's like rainwater, but, you have, of course, you've got to let that get to room temperature. And, and rainwater, of course, is excellent because it doesn't have that process that yep, your does yep. through your sink, or, for example. And sure. so as long as it's available, it's free. And I can't use my rain barrel now because, of course, it's, you know, not in use. It's <clears throat> that, frozen. That's my problem, too. Yeah. But talking about rainwater, do you know that the snow was melting? in our driveway and it was puddling in one area and i looked out and here was a whole family of little birds sitting in there and i had heard elbat said well they need water but they don't they're not bathing in it well this was on let's see this was on wednesday and and they were bathing in it they were taking turns And I thought, oh, they're getting their spring bath. They probably haven't had a bath all winter long. <laughs> so obviously they they do need that too. But they just um, very sociable birds. These are the uh, house sparrows, and I know a lot of people don't like them, but I like them. I they'll go come to the feeder together and eat together, bathe together. You know, they seem to uh, perch in my juniper shrubs and enjoy each other's company. So there's something to be said about that, I think. Well, you know, you and I attended an online expo last week, the Wisconsin Garden Expo. Yeah. And since I don't know about you, but it's really made me rethink some things I'm going to do this year in my garden. So I am ordering a lot of natives in 
right now I've got a couple of steep slopes along the the ditch by by the lake house. You know, they it's from the road and it goes you know dips down, and it's just grass and it's horrible to mow because it's so steep and I scalp it and that kind of thing. So I am getting sedges and I don't know if you have much experience with sedges, but they're able to tolerate some more dry soil and some of you got to really look close because some can stand more clay soil some more sand some have a little more shade and that sort of thing so i've been looking at ornamental grasses as well because they get those deep roots and they'll prevent a lot of um you know erosion and that sort of thing so i don't do you have much experience doing any sedges i you know uh thanks to barb matter our fellow master gardener she had used um or sedges in uh by her ravine and she said, let me give you a plant. And I have a variegated green and white plant. And she said, you'll be surprised. It will bloom. It shoots up a spike that looks like, well, like wild grasses do, mm-hmm. in that it, it looks um, like it's getting seeds on it rather than blooms. But that's what it does. And I had this really difficult place um, on the very back of my lot that was getting wet and then drying out and the soil was hard and grass wasn't growing there and it was somewhat shaded but yet um it, in the late afternoon uh it would get that sun from the west <clears throat> and so i just started with a couple of plants and they did really well and i continued on with those and i used them to go alongside of a raised bed that i had out there and I have to tell you, Karen, um, there, th- whatever Barb had, this is a great plant that does really well. And is I, it well I, behaved? See, that's the thing. I want one that's not just going to look like you know quack grass, which kind of goes out of control. No, they kind of clump, don't they? They are in clumps. They're they're just really nice in clumps. And, and and what I did, I started with one clump from her, did really well. It it got bigger, and then I. I divided it up, and I actually put it in water and soaked it so that I could kind of pull it apart without breaking off these different sections. And uh, I improved the soil before I put them in, but yet it was in an area where the soil around it wasn't improved. So they they took right off, and um, I just don't like to see black soil. And this was an answer to that. And it's behaved. You don't mow it. You don't cut it back. You don't do anything. And, and it acts like a mulch, so you don't really need, you know, at first does. when it's first starting, you should put some mulch so it, you know, doesn't, obviously, it's not yeah, filling in right. yet. But otherwise, it's, it's like a living mulch, and that's a great right. thing. And what I did with this was I took some of that uh, decomposing uh, leaf, um, leaves that I had, and I pushed them underneath because they they they're very graceful they they branch over they they're they're like um, a fountain you know so that the leaves instead of going straight up in the air they have that where they're just nice they're curved down and i shoved all this this uh leaf mold up in there Mm -hmm. just to keep it because those roots I felt they weren't developed well enough yet, and they they maybe couldn't make it on their own, and that has really paid off. But just really a nice thing to work with. If if I had a place that was, you know, difficult to grow things in, 
I would put sedges in there, definitely. Well, you know, when you have that the, those steep things to mow, it's kind of dangerous because I always, you know, worry about the mower tipping over or something. Actually, I have a push mower, but even even that's so steep that sometimes I worry about it tipping. So, so you know, think about those things and and to be sustainable because sometimes the the uh, lawn grass it it just doesn't have the protection with doesn't have those deep roots. So, just something I'm thinking about, Barb. Yeah, I think that's good, and I think that's. Uh, one of, been one of the benefits of being a master gardener is that we have so many people that are trying different things. Uh, we're trying to be sustainable. And it was interesting. I was looking at my notes this morning, and I see that Harvey Hess and I talked about sustainability um, on this program and 2014. Can you believe it? it? Was that long ago? You were ahead of the game because now it's the buzzword. It is, it is. But, you know, I think farmers were talking about that. And oh, they were, years ago, yeah. Yeah, they were doing their terracing of their fields, you know, trying to um, prevent erosion. They were doing things to um, uh, cover crops. And, yeah, so, but here we are now, gardeners. It We have a role to play, too. And sustainability is really important. To put something in your yard that's going to take a lot of water, and uh, fertilizing, and then maybe you won't have the best results. You know, when we first started coming out in Minnesota with the hardy azaleas, and it was all the buzzword then, we all had to have azaleas, and so we improved our soil and and, um, got azaleas. And, you know, with all the work that went into, I had two or three of them, they never really delivered on being like you see them in the south. Well, part of the reason here is that we have such alkaline soil. I mean, we really do because, you know, on a a pH scale, they generally like a 5.5 to 6.5, and ours is generally over 7 in our area. So it's that thing about sustainability. You can't be sustainable. It's basically the wrong plant, wrong place. So while they're beautiful... I would love to have that, but it's so hard to amend your soil. You know, you can just keep adding sulfur or things like that to get it, but it's it's still the the, the general character of your soil is going to be what it is, and you're you're going to have to yeah. add so much. That's why I gave up on blueberries, Barb, because you know oh, yeah. I tried them, and they need acidic soil. And in the first couple of years, they they were okay, and then they just kind of died out, kind of like your azalea. So yeah, you got to really look at that kind of stuff. You you know you do, and and after a while, you know you just say. Uh, you know, is this worth the effort? And it, right. and it really wasn't worth the effort. So, yeah. yeah. But that's something that you learn because I'll tell you what, we're influenced by uh, literature and by what's being advertised. Yep. And maybe even going to an arboretum where they have, you know, gardeners and they have time. And part of their mission is to try things and see what works, you know. There ought to be something that says, this requires a lot of time. You're going to have to be improving your soil every single year, you know, doing something to amend the soil. Well, you know, the University of Minnesota actually does a lot of that work for us, because I was just yesterday looking up um, plants that work well for our area, and every year, University of Minnesota across the the whole state there are gardeners like you and I you can volunteer to trial different types of seeds and then you keep these records and they put it in a report saying uh, this variety of for example zinnia grew best had the best flowers the least disease resistant so if you go to the University of Minnesota and look up some of their trials you can see a list of the best varieties of whatever it you know could be kale it could be 
uh, cabbage, whatever. It's it's there, and I just thought, what a great way to tr- try to reduce your problems before you have before they start. Yes, that that is so true. I participated in the seed trials one year. Oh, and uh, that year, one of the big things was zucchini. I'll tell you what, it was so prolific, <laughs> uh, and I hope they were happy to hear that. I also uh, 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 did some seed trials from uh, Sussex, England, and these were the delphinians to see if they could extend the range here. And um, it was really hard to get them, when you got seeds, to get them up and get them outside because they're a perennial mm-hmm. and this not a house plant, and it was difficult to get them to survive. So... Um, these were real, uh, these were seeds that were experimental, and I didn't have really good luck with that at all. And so but, the, the the goal then is to find that out, so then they'll maybe not put those on the market because they aren't successful, or you can at least read ahead. Right, right, and you can go back. You know, and the thing with delphinians was we had some good hardy ones here. They have their problems in that they can get um, root rot after you cut them back. The moisture just goes in through those big, you know, the, the um, spikes are big, and when you cut them off, you've got an opening there. Oh, I didn't know that. Is there a thing you can do with that? To... Well, you should probably leave them on as oh, long as possible. Okay. But, you know, we I think we've gone through an age where uh, things had to be cleaned up and sterile-looking, like you were doing your house, right. and you can't let things get shaggy-looking and, and disorderly. And now we're finding out, hey, that's not natural for this plant. This plant needs that. So maybe we should we should leave them alone. So uh, trial and error, this yeah. is what gardening is all about. And the main thing is not to get discouraged and to understand that <laughs> other people great. have these same problems. Oh, yeah. So. Now, as far as seed starting, I mentioned it's too early to start some. But if you really want to know, and I, I keep... Um, posting this to the sites where people say they're starting things go to the university of minnesota extension and type in uh this is what i typed in starting seeds indoors and there's actually it'll list like all right for today is uh, early march so early march are things generally that uh you should plant 10 to 11 weeks before they go outside and some of them that they're listing now are vegetables including broccoli brussels sprouts cabbage cauliflower and head lettuce these are some of the cold coal crops and so those are things you can start start inside now and there's a bunch of flowers they list as well like your periwinkle vinca snapdragons um black-eyed susan or rudbeckia petunias and those sorts of things and so it's just great it's all here in front of me that i can see when i should plant it and you know a lot of people i know plant tomatoes and peppers and things like that and that's not until early april but now early march barb you can do some of those coal crops sure you can the other thing is that the university recommends is if you want like for example if you had a problem with your broccoli so you've had the um moth that comes and lays the eggs and you get those green green worms worms on them yeah well there's a kind of a season to that and the season when they're worst is uh, when it gets hot. And that's when your broccoli is starting. It's big and, and lush like that. Mm-hmm. Well, what you can do is start your seeds later, 
so that you get this big flush of vegetation on and these these wonderful heads of broccoli when it's starting to get cool starting to cool off so uh, you know if if you had a problem try that if, if maybe you're getting them in too early and and it's too hot and that's that's when those moths are at the highest because maybe everybody else in your area is doing the very same thing so um it, it doesn't hurt to have um you know like we always tell people you know don't plant the whole packet of seeds you know you should do this uh, adding a few so that you have fresh much longer well maybe with your broccoli plants maybe you ought to start a few later on and see if you have better luck than getting them started so early and getting them out early so it just depends on your soil and it depends on the spring too and uh, if we have if we're getting warmer um, seasons are getting hotter then maybe we will do like they do in the south where when it's too hot um, they they don't put things out they start later on in the year and put them out so they become more of a fall winter crop and as climate change continues our dates may change when we do things as well so we'll have yeah, to just yeah keep... that's right it's not an exacting science i wanted to mention one thing march 17th is st patrick's day yes and one of the things you'll see now in the store um and coming up will be the um shamrocks or oxalis oxalis yes yes and uh a lot of people don't know this, but uh, this plant uh, for St. Patrick's Day is out because um, St. Patrick said that the plant reminded him of the Trinity, Father, uh-huh. Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's why that plant, grown in Ireland and other places, that's why that plant is so important for St. Patrick's Day. So. If you have one, it's really a great plant. Um, I have the one with the darker red leaves on it. Um, you I put yours it. outside then, too? I, I, I do, but here's what I do, Karen. I have um, I take some that are planted right into the ground outside, mm-hmm. and I bring those in as bare root. They get a little, it isn't a root, it's a, um, a little um, bulblet. And and I put those in a cool place, and and they they're very easy. I could start them now in a pot if I wanted to, or I could just wait and plant them directly into the soil. It's great. There are several different kinds, but the one that St. Patrick said this is the three-leafed. It, it reminds us of clover, although it's not clover. Uh, it's and then there are some that have the four leaves, and that's more of a clover-like thing. So, uh, yeah. Okay, well, plant. it is. We're out of time, Barb, I'm sorry to say, but always great to chat with you, and uh, until next time, happy dreaming and maybe planting some seeds even. Oh, yes. Thank you, Karen, and the same to you. Have a good week. All right, bye-bye, Barb. Our good friend Barb Lampson, Gardening with Barb and Karen, your master gardener. Friends, here on KMSU Radio, it's three minutes past ten. You're listening to a 